How are you guys doing? <laughs> okay, now I just want a full disclosure. We've got three locations worth of churches in one location right now. It's a little full. I also want to tell you I am a good leader, and I had the air condition put down to 62 days ago, and I was going to try to get it so cold we didn't feel like... Is that the fire of the Holy Spirit? Is that the flames of hell because I've been sinning this week? Or is it the lack of air conditioning? I can confirm for you it's one of the three. <laughs> I'm sitting in this chair because I'd like to welcome you to my living room. This is not my stage. This is a living room. And I'm the father of this house. I've got people who watch around the world. And you know what? They don't call me Pastor Mike. You know what they started calling me during the pandemic? Papa Sigs. I didn't know if it was irreverent or endearing. <laughs> I'm like, is that wrong, Papa Sigs? But people all around the world started calling me Papa Sigs. So my house, my rules. My house, my rules. And I say that because we're gonna have a very vulnerable conversation. This is two of two. And uh, if you missed last week, you gotta go back and listen to it, amen? Can anyone confirm they need to go back and listen to it? It was crazy what God did. And um, you're sitting in the living room with me because when you have family talks, this word may affect the body of Christ, but it's for our house. Now, I know that many pastors have shared this video of last week in the podcast because we actually had tens of thousands of listens and views, and, um, and that's okay if they share it. Now, last week I said something I've got to reiterate. If you think I'm talking about you, I am. If you think I'm talking about your mama, I'm talking about your mama. Do something about it. If you think I'm talking about your other church or a church you came from, I am talking. Literally, I'm talking about everybody. Amen? So tell your neighbor, just turn to them now and say, He's he is talking about you. <laughs> okay, did we get that out of the way? Because people are like, oh, he's talking about this church, that church. And it's like, no, I'm actually talking about all of them. And I want to take you through this word today. And I want to bring you into the living room because how many of you know Bad dads discipline out of anger. Good dads are angry, but don't discipline out of that emotion. Now, probably nobody amened me because y'all had bad dads that just lit you up whenever they were mad. <laughs> and you flinched a little bit when I talked about it. But the thing is, there are things that I have to bring into alignment in the body of Christ. I may end up using that shortly. Um, <laughs> the team's like, he's wild. We can do no right. We can't control them. Okay, so, and I'm sitting like this because I'm going to end up probably screaming in a little bit, and I want to make the Catholics feel comfortable. <laughs> Everybody, all the Catholics come there like, it was so powerful, but I'm so scared at the same time. <laughs> That's what they've been telling us, and then they join anyways. So the thing that I wanted to tell you is like, now that we're in this living room experience is that I have to preach the Bible in season and out of season. What that means is there's gonna come times in our history where the Bible is still relevant. And then there's gonna be other times where what the Bible says is the complete opposite of what culture says. So as a preacher of the word, I'm due double honor, but also I receive double judgment. And I, I'm not judged by God by how much you clap for me. I'm judged by God by how accurately I was able to communicate his heart to you. So I'm going to say some things to you that are going to offend you all the way to heaven instead of people pleasing you all the way to hell. Okay? Now, don't make me get up yet. 
I got my laptop. We're chilling. I turned the internet off. I've learned. Revelation chapter two, verse 18 through 29. And now this is part two of Jezebel. The Bible says, before we read this scripture, we wrestle not against Long Islanders on the highway. We wrestle not against our wife who we said we love, but now we're doubting it. We wrestle not against, come on, the person from high school that told us we were fat, we never forgot about it. And now they're right because of the pandemic. We, we wrestle not, listen, I'm with you guys. I'm on the same journey. We, we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood, but we do wrestle now, let me just tell you this, whether you choose to fight or not, you're in the fight. Now, you could say, I don't believe in spiritual warfare, but it's happening to you right now. You could say, I don't believe everything's a demon, but I'll tell you what, if as your walk as a believer, if nothing's ever a demon, you're also not right. I got some pastors, oh, you emphasize too much on demons. Well, read the New Testament because Jesus cast a lot of them out. One of them was a man in the synagogue. So I believe that freedom can happen, and I believe that we're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, and rulers in high places. So in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 18 through 29, I want to take you through this scripture because I want to show you the spirit of Jezebel. Now, do I have your permission to preach deep? If you don't understand what I'm saying, I need you to go back and watch part one, and I want you to read your Bible on a Monday, and I'm helping you on a Sunday, but I'm not a spoon feeder, okay? So, okay, one time I heard this story, I reposted it recently, where a woman, uh, a family invited the, the lead pastor to their house for dinner, and they were having dinner together, and at the conclusion of the dinner, um, they said their salutations, and the pastor went home. As they were cleaning all the fine china and the silverware, the wife had this realization that one of the spoons was missing. And she's like, I think the pastor stole one of our spoons. That's kind of crazy, but we're only missing one. I think it was his. Why would the pastor steal a spoon? So a year passes, and the pastor comes back to the home for dinner again, and the woman musters up the courage to finally ask, Pastor, this is not an accusation, but I just have to ask out of curiosity. The night you came for dinner, we were missing a spoon and we never found it. Did you steal our spoon? And he said, no, actually I hid it in your Bible and it's been a year since you've read it. All right, let's pray. Father, <laughs> all right, bring me back my podium now. I'm, I'm revving up. I'm revving up. <laughs> So I'm going to preach deep like you understand. And if you don't listen to part one, then read your Bible, okay? And I, I do need that podium. I, I thought I was going to do this. I tried to be Andy Stanley. I can't. I can't. I'm, I'm Andy's wild cousin. <laughs> Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 through 29. I know your works. This is Jesus Christ talking. Jesus is talking. I know your works. Your love and your faith, and your service, and your patient endurance. Okay, let's back up. Man, what a compliment from Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying. Let me break it down. Hey, V1 Church, I know how well you show love. Matter of fact, you have a group every Monday night that helps people get free from drug addiction, from porn addiction, and you love them so well. V1 Church, I know that you treat the person who gives $1 million the same way as the person who gives $1 or nothing because you're so good at showing love. I know your faith. 
Look what he's saying in Revelation 2.18. He's saying, I know your faith. Like It's crazy because I know that you believe for signs, miracles, and wonders, and you had medically verifiable miracles happen when you prayed. And and your faith was so, you believed that you were going from the movie theater to Nassau Coliseum, and you did it. I'm commending you for your faith and your service. You took teams to Honduras. You, you, you did backpacks. You had thousands of backpacks full, filled with supplies and you were so generous to your community. You did such a good job. And then you had patient endurance, which how many of you know that endurance must be a hard thing to have if Jesus has to say good job for having it? And he's saying in the culture in which you were living, you had patient endurance when everybody was rushing, when everybody was, was ruthlessly subjected to this feeling of I'm not doing enough in enough time. But you had patient endurance. And then, watch this, verse 20. But I have this against you. I have this against you, this one thing, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed by idols, which let me just give you some deep theology, a boundary breaker. Man, it got real quiet, didn't it? It got real quiet. Now I want to go to verse 24. So let's skip down. But to the rest of you in this region who do not hold this teaching from this woman Jezebel, Watch this phrase, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. The culture that Jezebel produces in the church is being paralleled to learning and being discipled in the deep things of Satan. Do you guys hear me today? And so it's like crazy for me to think about how Very few times we ever hear of any preacher touching the topic of Jezebel, but do you want to know why you don't hear it? Because they're compromised to that spirit and you cannot confront that which you are compromised to. You cannot confront that which you are compromised to. I was under this spirit. I was prideful, arrogant, self-obsessed with my own plans and agenda I lived under this spirit. I attended churches where this spirit ran the church. The lead pastor didn't lead the church. The spirit, Jezebel and Ahab led the church. I've been through it, y'all. And the reason why revival started breaking out last Sunday is because I executed this spirit round one, but I got more work to do. And you're about to get free. Does anybody believe that? Okay, now... I want to briefly give you three things that we learned from Revelation chapter two about the spirit of Jezebel. The spirit of Jezebel operates in all spheres of influence, business, the arts and entertainment, the church, government. She, and she is not relegated to male nor female. Men can have this spirit too. Ahab and Jezebel work together. And I want to show you that. But if you extract from the scriptures, what is Jesus Christ saying about Jezebel? Number one, It says he, or or, sorry, who calls herself a prophetess. So what do we, what do we learn from that? She does not want to be under authority and she gives herself a title that was not given to her. (laughs) Oh, y'all don't even know. (laughs) She doesn't want to be under authority. So Jezebel calls herself a prophetess. Jesus didn't call her that. Nobody... Ahab, her husband, didn't call her that. Who is this spirit? She is a self 
proclaimer. She makes her own identity. What is the spirit of this age? You have to make something out of yourself. Be, be very aware that in giving yourself a title, you don't label yourself something that Jesus never labeled you. When you move to New York City, everybody's got a hustle. Everybody's got a dream. You meet somebody who's a waitress, and, and, and literally, they ask you, what do you do? And then you're like, well, well, what do you do? And they're like, well, I'm not a waitress. I'm just, you know, biding my time before I get called, you know, for the big, but the big role. And I'm like, no, you're playing the part of a waitress right now, but praise God, you have dreams. <laughs> But this is a place where people go Broadway before it's shut down. They're there to do Broadway shows. And, you know, you have this place. Los Angeles is very much the same way. And so people, they, they take the burden of giving themselves a title, but they step outside of the identity that's given by a father. And people strive for years and years and years. They're like, nothing works out. And it's like, yes, because your plans will fail. But when you put your plans in him, they will succeed because it'll be his plans through you. Okay, so number two. Well, let me go back to this one. She does not want to be under authority. Now, listen, there is a abusive church structures. There are, uh, there are church structures that you should not be under authority to. I'll just be straight up with you. Every pastor should have a pastor. Every pastor should have a pastor. If I'm not getting rebuked and corrected, how do I know that I'm not being course corrected? We all need somebody to speak into our lives. I'm very weary of men and women who do ministry without a covering. They go rogue. And, and listen, we don't need a good idea. We need a God idea in the earth. And just because the United States government will approve your incorporation and seal it with the state of New York doesn't mean that the kingdom of heaven has sealed it and released you in that ministry. Just because you got a graphic designer to make a good logo for it doesn't mean that it's viable by the kingdom. And I've never seen that spirit more than I have here on Long Island. Nobody wants to have a pastor, but they want to be a pastor. Nobody wants to be taught, but everybody wants wants to teach, but we know that, that, that guess what? You're getting yourself into trouble. I stepped on everybody's toes. Nobody loves me anymore, Anthony, <laughs> but this is a spirit. It's a spirit. And you got pastors that want people to take notes while they're talking, but they never take notes on anybody else. Yes. Even the Gen Z's are receiving the word. You know them because they have a call that they do. Sheesh. That's how you know that they're in your midst. They have their own call now. Here's number two. The spirit of Jezebel desires to teach, not be taught. It's an unteachable spirit. Unteachable. Doesn't want to receive. James chapter one, verse 19 says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to make their own Facebook account and start posting. Let everybody be quick to make their own course and have everybody swipe up on Instagram for it. Instagram sent me this shirt, this shirt, by the way. Isn't it cool? When they sent me this shirt, I was talking to their rep and I was like, you know, I don't stand for anything you guys stand for, right? And it was super awkward. <laughs> like, I think I messed up. Isn't that what James 1.19 says? Be quick to tell everybody your, your opinion. It says, no, know this, beloved brothers, let every person, somebody say every person. Okay, see how I said I'm talking about all y'all? Let every person be quick to hear. How many of you know that it's possible to hear but not listen? You know, nowadays you could talk to somebody and they're looking at you and they're just waiting for you to repeat their own opinion back. And if you don't, they say, you're not one of us. 
I feel like the lines have been more segregated than ever before. Do you feel that? Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. This is the formula for unity in the kingdom. Hey, I, I, I don't, I, I, there's such a reverence that I have for this, this office, this position to preach and to teach the word. It's, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so I ought not strive to preach because I know that there's such a heavy burden that comes with those who have to discern how to communicate the scriptures in this era. I, I, I ought not want to step outside. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I've got an opinion, but I haven't even taken my opinion in prayer. I've posted more than I've prayed and I've gotten the results from posting, but never got the results of prayer. Man, I know I'm preaching good because ain't nobody talking now. And, and see, we live in this world where we're being conditioned. Can I tell you how the algorithms work? It serves your content to people that they know don't agree with what you're saying because they scan all the words. I've read all the user agreements for these things, and they intentionally serve your post to people who disagree with you to generate comments. The more you comment, the longer you stay in the platform, therefore the more ads they can serve to you. So they are literally using your opinion to make them money and make you, uh, they make, make you live this living hell of everybody feeling like they're on uncertain ground in their relationships. So it's just like people think that they're making a post to make a difference, but the only thing you changed is your relationships. And I don't wanna be used like that I don't want to look back on history and say, man, I could have written a book with how many posts I've made, but I'm not even an author. I'm just a critic. <laughs> I don't want to look back at this time and, and say, man, I was so quick to speak, but I never got to see the power of God in action. I want to be slow to listen, but then it says slow to wrath. Why? Because if anybody knows anything about anger, it happens fast. And you've got to choose to be slow. Can I give you one more? I'm going to go deep into the Greek. This is the spirit seduces so write this down in your notes. It seduces. So verse 20 says, but I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to break boundaries. Now, I looked up the word seduces in the Greek because I always think of seduces. Where's my wife at? Is she back there somewhere? I can't see. So I always thought of seduces. No, this won't work on anyone else, but like, hey, what's up, babe? Now how you do it, you got to bite your lip or something. That's what I thought. See, it didn't even work. Everybody laughed. She didn't laugh. It worked on her. She was like, I don't know. That's not funny. I'll... I thought that that's what seducing meant. But did you know that when you look up the original Greek, it actually means to make someone wander around aimlessly as if they're lost. Now, when I hear Christians, you know what I see? I don't know. This is what they tell me. I don't know the plan for my life. I'm lost. Really? Because that sounds more like what the spirit of Jezebel produces, not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit gives you direction. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. All means all. Holy Spirit will help you be a better parent. The Holy Spirit will help you be a better husband, a better wife. And so when people are like, I don't know the plan for my life, I always ask, how well do they know the Holy Spirit? But Jezebel seduces you, which causes you to wander. Now, I want to read this to you. It means this in the original Greek, to roam from safety. To roam from safety. Jezebel hates congregations. 
Jezebel hates congregations. Can I just say it again? The spirit of Jezebel hates the gathering of the saints. Oh, Pastor Mike, in the first century church, they went from house to house. Yes, they did. They also had large inspirational gatherings where thousands were added to their, their, their numbers daily. They had both. And guess what? Here, 2,000 years later, we have connect groups and we have Sunday service. We're just like the first century church. The question is, are you like a first century believer? I told you, this is a family talk. Welcome to the living room. Because I'm gonna set some stuff in alignment because what the Lord showed me is that this fall, we are gonna step into an incredible move of God. I, I see it. I, I'm, he showed me the date range and there's gonna be no turning back. I've got Isaiah Saldivar coming Halloween day at the space of Westbury and we're doing a mass deliverance and I know we're gonna have over 1,500 people there. I'm telling y'all, we're taking the lid off, but we've got to get right so we can sustain it. And the Lord's routing out this spirit of Jezebel. When you look at the Greek, it says to roam away from safety. People seduced by the spirits distance themselves from the gathering of the body. They despise church unity. Julie and I have a relative that used to be a lead pastor who said, I'm going to take one Sunday off from church, and it turned into a 23-year wandering. They ne right? And so the thing that I want to say to you today is that if you, filled, if you have felt that temptation to not come into the body of believers, to not host a watch party in your home, to be lackadaisical, you may be encountering the spirit of Jezebel drawing you away so that you are vulnerable to attack in isolation. Do you want me to tell you why he leaves the 99 for the one? I want to give you a revelation on this because we love singing songs about it, but very few people understand the work of a shepherd according to the ways that the shepherds in Israel used to actually operate. So if you have a hundred sheep and one walks away, you know that there are predators that are lurking around. And if a wolf takes that one sheep and takes him out, it will get a craving taste for sheep and come back and attack all the other 99. So you save the one to save the 99. Does somebody hear what I'm talking about? You say, I'm not going to let a wolf get one because I'm not going to ignite the appetite to get the 99. And so a good shepherd will leave the one. And so it's not about the one. It's about the 100 because you say, devil, no, you're not going to have them because you're not going to have them. And you go after the 99 for the 99 and the plus one. And the thing that people don't understand is it's spiritual warfare to leave the 99 for the one, because you're telling a message to the wolf. You're not having one because you're not having none. And you know, when I got that revelation, in the midst of the global pandemic, when people were being divided like never before. And see, the Lord told me to tell this to somebody today. If you've graduated in maturity, like let's say you've become more mature in your faith, maybe you're not a shepherd, but you can be a sheepdog. Do you know what a sheepdog does? A sheepdog runs around and corrals the sheep back in. A sheepdog has the wisdom to say, I'm going to cooperate with the shepherd. And I believe that we've got some sheepdogs raising up in the church who are going to see a seat and be like, hey, you weren't there, there last week. Don't let Jezebel isolate you. Don't leave the flock. There's something here for you. You've got a seat with your name on it. And the Lord wants you belong here. Does, I have any sheepdogs here. Some people go after you. And say, because it's in isolation that you get weird. You'll start telling a volleyball, its name is Wilson. <laughs> isolation makes people weird. 
When I got to New York and I met the pastors here, they're so disconnected from the rest of Christianity and the, in the rest of the U.S. that they had formed weird mindsets, weird ways of thinking, weird cultural things. Sometimes people are in the Bible belt and they can't even preach to an atheist or an agnostic because it's like they just, you get weird in isolation. It's good to be exposed. For some of you, you're like, well, I'm not like them. They're always happy. Well, what if you started to smile a little bit? I'm not like them. They're always serious. Well, you're always joking around, but the joke's on you. The devil's taking your destiny. Maybe you need to get serious about the things of God too. There's something about community that makes us all better together. Amen? Okay, I'm almost done. Now, there's these critical criteria for narcissists. And last week, last week, we looked at overt narcissism through Jezebel. But I want to talk to you about a profound revelation I got about covert narcissism. Narcissism undercover. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 21 again. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said, why is your spirit so sad? And it's vexed that you're not eating any food. So here's overt narcissism. It's Jezebel saying, let's take his vineyard and turn it into a vegetable garden. Naboth, we want what you have. We're entitled. We have an inflated sense of self and we're gonna pillage and take whatever we want. That's overt. But covert narcissism looks like this. Yeah, I'm just so bummed out. I'm just so upset. When people in your life make you feel an extreme pressure to always make them happy, they might be a narcissist. It's not your job. I'm telling you this. I'm going to set a wife free. Wife, it's not your job to make your husband happy. Somebody's going to get free. Husband, it's not your job to make your wife happy. David on the backside of the hill said, I delight myself in the Lord. I have found my contentment in him. You can't be something for someone that requires an eternal supply. Oh, I know I'm preaching good. Because we have this Superman syndrome as a result of our own woundedness. I never had a dad. So in my mind, I thought that there were men out there who were perfect. So I tried to find that man in every pastor and every leader. And then when, not if, but when they failed me, I would lash out on them. Some of you do that to me. You have an unrealistic expectation for what I can be for you and to you. And if I don't meet that expectation, it turns into bitterness. Oh, I know I'm touching a root now. I've had people of our church confess to me that I walked through the crowd but didn't look at them. And they held bitterness against me for months. And I was like, I wasn't wearing my glasses. I couldn't even see right in front of me. And so what happens is when there's covert narcissism, it's like you're always uneasy around those people because you can feel their feelings vibrating through their body and it's annoying. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? When you're like, can't we just have one good day? I'll take you to Taco Bell. What do you need? And see what happened is when, when Ahab said, when Ahab was demonstrating a covert narcissism. And when you're like that, you'll be on a worship team and you're just like, man, I can feel that narcissism. And you know what it is? They're acting sad enough to suck all the attention in their direction so that you will solicit a conversation and make it about them and not God. There's a lot of pastors who have covert narcissism and it manifests itself in false humility. 
False humility. Oh, I'm so humble. I'm so humble. It's like, no, you're not. That's false humility. You want people to think you're humble, which is still you wanting their approval and their praise. And so your desire for them to think you're humble is pride. It goes that deep. Oh, I'm soft-spoken and I'm shy and I'm reserved. No, you're not. You're arrogant. You know that if you act shy, everybody will pay attention to you. Oh, God, I love our church. Isn't it true? Some people are introverted and some people are prideful who've learned the tool of introversion to turn the attention to them. And sometimes when I see that, I say, Lord, we need to preach a series about it. (laughs) Because now here's the thing I want to go deeper on 1 Kings 21. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said, why is your spirit so sad and vexed that you eat no food? And he said, because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and he, said, and he was like, I want his stuff, and he won't give me his stuff. But here's the thing. I never saw this until I studied this this week. The Lord told me, I used to always think that Jezebel was the instigator. But see, what happened was Jezebel did nothing that was not already in Ahab's heart. Jezebel only confirmed what was already in his heart to steal and to murder and to take that vineyard and turn it into a vegetable garden. So what'll happen is when somebody comes to you and they're gossiping, you have to have that same thing in your heart in order to create the power of agreement. So if you already have bitterness and rejection, wounds of rejection in your heart, and someone comes to you and says, Pastor Mike, don't even care about you, dude. He walks right past you. That dude don't care about nobody. He just wants followers and fame. If you already have bitterness and rejection in your heart, through the power of agreement, you will learn the deep ways of Satan as you become a disciple of Jezebel. Because you'll come together and you'll agree on that thing and Jezebel will say, I got you. Just like I got your dad and your grandpa and your great grandpa, I got you too. That's how the spirit realm works. And the thing that I want to say is that if it's not in your heart, you'll reject it. So if somebody comes with dishonor, you will, and you have honor in your heart, you'll reject it. You'll say, no, 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 that's crazy. Actually, Pastor Mike is not a one-man show, and he's raised up all these other pastors in our church to love and shepherd us, and honestly, if he wasn't looking at you, he's half blind anyway, and you'll give me the benefit of the doubt because honor's in your heart, and, it'll ro- and dishonor will roll off the duck's back. It's like when people say, well, the only reason why I cheated is because she came onto me so strong. No, you were a cheater in your heart. You just needed an opportunity. Oh, I just cheated on my finances because I had this momentary lapse of judgment. No, you've been cheating your whole life. It just infiltrated your finances. You're a cheater. You're a cheater who cheats. And the thing that I want to tell you is that we've got to do some hard work and say, we're not going to learn the deep ways of Satan. We're going to learn the deep ways of Christ. We're going to learn the, the, the ways of Christ in this church. And so when you look at this toxic codependency, come on, somebody say that word codependency. Co. See, you see that? It's the power of agreement in a demonic sense. And it needs two to function. Because see, somebody in that chemical reaction could be made of something different and neutralize it. Somebody comes to you, oh man, as soon as they bring it to you, you have an opportunity for it to become explosive or to, de- or to detonate it, you know? And we've got to really understand this. So Ahab was covert narcissism and Jezebel was overt narcissism, but both needed to have that spirit broken off of them. 
People with covert narcissism, they will even avoid social situations or relationships that lack clear benefits. So Ahab went to Naboth. Hey Naboth, how you doing bro? How's it going my man? Yeah, you, you wanna go out for lunch Naboth? Yeah, let's go. But see, he wanted his vineyard. He didn't want a relationship. There's a lot of people that, they have that spirit of Ahab and Jezebel that even engages with you just to get something from you. They, want, they don't want something for you, they want something from you. And you're so broken, and you have such low self-esteem, and you're so wounded that you take the bait every time because you're like, I'd rather have false love because it sometimes feels like love than have no love at all. And some of you are like, man, I know I'm getting used if I'm being real with myself, but I'd rather get used and be in a relationship than be in isolation alone. And so it's like a twisted thing that begins to happen. Matter of fact, I'll tell you this much. A lot of times when you join a church, you get so love-bombed. They, they, they gaslight you so much. They tell you the greatest thing ever. They take you out to lunch. They put you in front of people, and they do all these things. But they don't even care about you. Matter of fact, the true measure of a pastor is not in how they treat you when you join the church, but how they treated you when you left it. Come on, I'm just being real. And some of you, you in the spirit realm, your whole back is covered by scars from pastors as the result of how they treated you when you left. Because what Ahab and Jezebel does is they have to make a smear campaign against you so that they discredit you so that you hold no authority in case you actually expose them. And that's one of the wounds of Ahab and Jezebel is suffering these smear campaigns that trash, that try to attempt to trash your identity. And so in 1 Kings chapter 21, you see the spirit. They, they try to work against Naboth. The other thing that I think is important about covert narcissism is that covert narcissists, they have fantasies that they retreat to. Fantasies of success. They think about it obsessively. They don't do the things to produce the success. They just obsessively think about the fantasy. And what happens is how much they're doing versus how much they're fantasizing is out of alignment. We see this in Ahab. He was standing on the roof of the palace looking at Naboth's vineyard, fantasizing about owning it instead of taking another plot of land and making his own vineyard. There's people that fantasize obsessively about being recognized for their talents and promoted at work. They fantasize about being admired for their attractiveness everywhere they go. They fantasize about receiving praise for saving people from a disaster. You know, I showed up here in 2012 during Hurricane Sandy. And I, the Holy Spirit told me to come and to serve people and to, and to help. But, you know, I used to, during Hurricane Katrina, I went down to serve in, during Katrina as well. And what I've noticed is there are people that build their entire destiny around saving people who are in need. And that could be a God thing. Or it could also be a, a demonic counterfeit where they're like, man, I just need to feel needed. I just need to feel like I'm important from saving people's lives. What if I told you that the true message of the cross is that you hold value that can never be taken away without you doing anything at all? Isn't that counterintuitive to the whole message you've ever heard? What if I told you that the real message of the gospel is there is no accomplishment great enough to earn your value as a son or a daughter? Doesn't that free you? Now you're free to go save lives because you're not doing it for the income, you're doing it for the outcome. 
Oh, I know I'm speaking into something today. Covert narcissists, they hold grudges for a long time. Ahab was holding a grudge against Naboth for something Naboth never did. There's some of you that, uh, oh, how real can I be, y'all? Some of you got up one time at your last church and preached, and the preacher held a grudge against you the whole time because they're so insecure, they held that grudge because of their insecurity. Some of you sang a couple of times and they held a grudge against you. They didn't schedule you anymore. Sometimes you can be in business and somebody sees you in and a covert narcissist will sabotage your plans. And you'll be like, man, why does it seem like nothing's working in my business? Because people under your leadership are so insecure that they have a covert narcissism that sabotages your plans just so you don't look good. There's times in the local church where people are like, oh, I'm with you, pastor, I'm here for the vision. But in their heart, they're saying, I'm gonna sabotage it just so it doesn't come to pass. I see it in women's ministry all the time. I wanna speak into that. In women's ministry all the time, it's like, we can't have Julie win because how am I gonna get attention if she's the main deal? I've seen it in churches. Jezebel begins to flare up and says, oh, we can't have a sisterhood because how am I gonna be the queen? Oh, I know I'm talking deep. I see it in men's ministry all the time where you have that covert narcissism that's like, oh, I'm, we're not gonna use this to talk about what pastor talked about. I've got my own personal revelations to give you. Well, guess who had their own revelation personal too? Judas. He literally came to Jesus and said, are we really spending the money like that, Jesus? Because we could be using it for the poor. I've got my own revelation on how to spend the finances. And actually what Jesus said about Jesus, Judas was, it has nothing to do about the poor. Satan has forcibly entered your heart, Judas. There's people who are teaching the Bible, but doing their own self-will. Jesus himself says, I don't do my will, but I do the will of the Father. So there's something about this that needs to be surgical. When you're holding a grudge and you're treating people unfair, unfairly because you're furious in the moment. In 1 Kings chapter 21, Jezebel didn't give Ahab the idea for revenge. She just helped him put into words what was already happening in his narcissistic heart. Would you just stand to your feet? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Everybody say no one. That means everybody. See it to that no one comes short of the grace of God. Here's why though. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. Here's the lie of bitterness. The greatest lie of bitterness is that it just affects you. Come on, do you hear me? The greatest lie of bitterness is it just affects me. Oh, I just have something against Pastor Mike. That's my thing. No, the word says that many will be defiled by your personal bitterness. Oh, I just have bitterness against my husband. It's just about me and him. It's not about our kids. No, your kids will be defiled by the bitterness you have against your husband. It's irrevocable. It's a principle. It will leak out in your conversations. It will leak out. It's just like when you, you know what, listen, you know what I love about New Yorkers? Y'all are real and you're very hard to fake out. And if I brought my wife up here and said, man, we have a great marriage and we are smiling, hugging each other, the New Yorkers would be like, no, they don't. No, they don't. Totally fought on the way here. Julie hates him. Because there's something about the root of bitterness that defiles many. You could have it in your heart and be like, well, I'm not showing it. Your face betrays you. Your conversations betray you. And the root of bitterness defiles many. But what's the opposite of bitterness? 
What's the opposite of bitterness? It's celebration. It's gratefulness. It's humility. It's saying, I'm going to find the good and I'm going to speak to purpose. Bitter people talk about people. They ruin relationships. They ruin atmospheres. Ahab didn't let Jezebel do anything that he didn't want done. If you've received the bitterness from someone else, it's because you already had a bitter root in your heart. But when you say, God, I don't want to be bitter, I'm going to speak into the root of that. And you say, man, for all your dad's faults and failures, I see something in him I'm speaking to. If he's not dead, he's not done. There's still a destiny in there. And your kids begin to see you speak into an ugly situation and you activate your children's faith. But so many of us have never seen that, never heard that. And we repeat the dysfunction of our past instead of receiving the victory that we have access to for our future. And we need to speak into it. You know who I learned that from? One of the most powerful women of God I've ever met, Julie Signorelli, who looked at me when there was nothing redeemable and said, I see what everybody else sees that they're talking about, but by faith, faith is the evidence of things hoped for, but it's the substance of things not seen. Come on, anybody in their carnal mind can say what they see, but I need a spiritual-minded person who will declare what they don't see. Come on, because when you speak it, you activate faith. And for without faith, it's impossible to please God. So she began to speak into my life. I showed up to New York, and they told me the average weekly attendance will be 20 to 30 people. They, the gurus and the, 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 the 10 negative spies told me, You'll probably never break a hundred. Three locations and three years later, I said, I chose faith over your false armor. I'm a giant killer. I don't prove that armor. You've got to learn how. I saw what they saw. I saw the traffic jams. I saw the cost of living. I saw everything, but I saw Jesus too. What else do you see? You know, all of a sudden you have the prophet Elijah is just chilling. And then the servant comes to him and says, Elijah, I don't know if you know this, but there's more, there's more people mounting up against us. It looks impossible. He said, no, no, just go back out there and ask the Lord to show you again. Go back out there and see it again. And all of a sudden that man walked out there, that servant, see, he was just in training. He was in a V1 college, Old Testament edition. He said, go out there and see it again. And his eyes were open. He said, wow, there's more for us than against us. I hear the Lord telling somebody, go back and look again. Go back. I feel that in my gut. Go back and look again. Come on, Jamaica. Go back and look again. I feel like Jamaica's ripe for a revival. Come on, South Africa. I know things are burning all around you, but the fire of the Holy Spirit's about to be released in South Africa. Come on, New York. Come on, don't you see it? Look again. Somebody say, look again. Trust people when they show you who they are with their actions. Trust them. Trust them when they show you. Sometimes we are in this delusion that we need to wake up from. I want to read you a few things and then we're going to close out. If you've been the victim of narcissism, if you've been the victim, here's how you know. People doubt the abuse even took place. Because a true narcissist will make you think you're crazy. I, okay, the pastor, if the pastor always makes you think it's your fault and you never hear a pastor say, man, I just grew and I learned through this. Thank you for helping me see it. You're in the wrong church. 
I tell, I've been saying this for the last four and a half years, that we grow together. Some of the best information we have doesn't come from the top down, it comes from the bottom up. Now we're gonna teach you how to use your discernment because some of you just have the gift of discouragement, not the gift of discernment, you know? But somebody's like, why is the prophetic so alive in your church? And I said, because we kill negativity and criticism at the root. And then if it is negative, it's real negativity, not our wounds talking. But sometimes people will make you doubt that the abuse ever happened because you'll feel like it's you. And I wanna speak to a woman right now. That man did not leave you because of your body. That man did not leave you because of your body. There's nothing wrong. I'm speaking as a father of this house. There is nothing wrong with your body. Man, I feel the anointing. There is nothing wrong with your body. That man was under an Ahab and Jezebel spirit that seduced him, and there is nothing wrong with your body. And I want to release that as the father of this house. Sometimes you can think, man, it was always my fault, and I could have worked out more. I could have ate better. I could have do this. No, stop with that. Stop with that. You were the victim of a narcissist, and nothing was ever going to be good enough for them. And you know how I know? Because they go from relationship to relationship. Oh, I could have just worked more on my leadership. I wasn't good enough leader. No, listen, they were not a good enough follower. Here's how you know you've been suffering under narcissistic abuse. They've started a smear campaign against you. But there's a scripture that says no weapon formed against you will prosper. Come on, does somebody know the word? How does that scripture end? It says, in every tongue that rises against you, I will silence, says the Lord. So here's the thing. They start a smear campaign, but guess what? They're only talking about you if you're doing something. It's part of my story. It's part of my story. Here's another one. You feel isolated, but I serve the one that says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will help you find your spiritual family. I will bring you together by the anointing. The anointing attracts you to people that bear the same anointing. Can I just tell you that? Eagles fly with eagles. Chickens peck around with chickens. The anointing will cause you to find your tribe. The anointing will attract you to your people. And you'll, you'll be like, man, I feel like I'm like them. I feel when we had that panel of women up here for Free Women Collective, which already got over 9,000 views, and it was since Friday night, I watched those women uh, come up on this panel. I said, the anointing has brought these women together across the country because you will find your tribe. And you might say, I was so misunderstood. I, they didn't get me. Well, guess what? Welcome to your family where we understand you. We get you. You know what I'm trying to say? You'll say, man, at my last church, they made me feel weird for the prophetic. Well, guess what? Weird people do weird things. <laughs> and so if you're weird, the prophetic's gonna come out weird through you. But guess what? The prophetic is not a water fountain that you can turn off and on. It's a river that nobody can stop. It'll reroute. It'll cause itself to go around. And so if you feel isolated, the Lord will bring you into a house where you find your tribe. Here's the la last couple. You feel fr that you're frozen. Narcissistic abuse freezes people in time. They feel inactive. They can't break out. They're like, I'm stuck. I've even seen people not be able to leave churches that are clearly, it's like two, three hundred of their friends will leave and they're like, I can't leave because narcissistic abuse freezes you. I've seen people, now Jesus, I wanted to say this because this is the Bible. Jesus gives a recipe for divorce. Did you know that? 
And so sometimes divorce is a proper response to a situation. Am I preaching to somebody? Sometimes it's okay, but let me just tell you this. Sometimes I've seen people stay in situations where the person will not change and they freeze up and they subject themselves to years, even decades of abuse because they're frozen. And it takes somebody telling you God's gonna unlock and cause you to break through and you don't have to be frozen in that relationship, frozen in that dynamic. Here's another one. If you always feel like you've done something wrong, if you're like, you're just always like, oh, what did I do now? What did I do now? Could it be that you're not that wrong all the time? You're just around narcissistic people that are overly critical to make you fixate on what, see, this is the thing. Covert narcissists and overt narcissists, they have to get everybody paying attention to your faults and failures to camouflage their own. So it's like, this is what you see with Ahab and Jezebel. They're trying to fix the focus on Naboth to get him out of the game because nobody, they don't want anybody to see him. Here's another one. And this is the one that the Lord showed me is gonna be powerful. You have unexplained physical ailments. Did you feel that in the room? One of the hallmarks of an Ahab and Jezebel spirit is unexplainable, wow. Come up here, Jules. Unexplainable physical symptoms, appetite changes, upset stomach or nausea. Did you know that when I was young, I went through a traumatic divorce experience with my parents and they had joint custody. My father eventually committed manslaughter and went to prison. But did you know that I had severe digestive issues? I believe it was Ahab and Jezebel. Sometimes people are like, oh, I have this unexplainable chronic illness. I have this thing. I'm telling you, Jesus cast out the spirit of infirmity sometimes. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it is a change of diet. Sometimes it is something that, you, but sometimes it's the spirit of infirmity. There's muscle aches and pains. Sometimes you'll be around a narcissist and the back of your head will begin to, you'll feel a tension. You'll feel it in your shoulders and you'll be like, man, something's happening to me. There's unexplained physical symptoms that are manifestations of Ahab and Jezebel. So guess what the Lord told me? Healings are about to break out right now like crazy. Last one, because we're getting ready. I'm just wanting you to lift up your faith. If you feel, oh, just quiet yourself in your spirit, because this is, I want everybody to really hear what I'm about to say. Ahab and Jezebel, if you feel like you've lost yourself, if you feel like you have lost your identity, you've lost yourself, who am I? I'm not as alive as I used to be. I'm, I, I'm not as sharp as I used to be. I can't think right. I, I, there's no joy. I don't listen to music anymore. I, there's no color in my life. Everything's monochromatic. It's black and white. I used to be excited. There's no excitement. There's no dream. There's no vision. If you feel like you've lost yourself, it's because Ahab and Jezebel, this spirit has broken your identity and it has broken your, it has broken your dreams. I'm telling you, you know when Ahab and Jezebel are present because you lose yourself. You get confused all the time. What am I even doing? What, what, what is life? I don't know, should I be in this relationship? Should I be in this church? Should I be doing this business? Should I, whatever it is, Ahab and Jezebel produces the loss of identity. Come on, somebody's receiving deliverance. 
Come on, come on. We command that spirit of Ahab and Jezebel to come up and out now in the name of Jesus. Come on. One of the deliverance team members, just go to her now. She's receiving deliverance. The Lord told me that was going to happen. That's okay. That's okay. I told you miracles are about to start breaking out. This is the second message and I just want to let the Lord do whatever he wants to do. So I want you guys, this is kind of like, we're just gonna allow the Lord to do this last part. Would you just stretch your hands towards heaven? This is a sign of surrender. Ahab and Jezebel hates raised hands. Hates raised hands. When people are like, I can't raise my hand. I don't want, I feel awkward. I feel, sometimes that spirit of Ahab and Jezebel will say, don't surrender. Don't come into unity. Everybody has their hand raised, but you don't raise your hand. Sometimes that's the spirit of Ahab and Jezebel saying, they hate unity, they hate. But this is a sign of surrender that says, I belong to the king of this kingdom, not the ruler of the prince of the power of the air. And you break something. Somebody's gonna get the first layer of freedom when they raise their hand. Even in the tech booth, if you can, raise your hands. Everybody in our church is about to get free. Now, there is power in the tongue. The power of life and death is in the tongue. Curses are made by speaking and curses are broken by speaking. Do you hear me? Curses are broken by the power of the tongue and the blood of Jesus Christ. Galatians says that he hung on a tree to break the curse, generational curses. So with every hand lifted, I want you to say this with me. Heavenly Father, come on, say it boldly, guys. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes me clean, that renews me. I surrender my life to Jesus. Father, I repent of all pride, all narcissism for coming into agreement with Ahab and Jezebel. I renounce this spirit now I break and release myself from every generational curse of Ahab and Jezebel by the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name, I am free. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate our freedom. Come on, let's declare it now.